Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino here with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And our guest today is Ross Youngs, president of Univenture. And he is a lifelong inventor, entrepreneur, has had companies on the Inc. 500, has solved real industrial problems, and is on the verge of solving some really big uh, biomedical issues as well. So real interesting perspective on bringing new products to market in practical ways. So listen closely as Ross joins our show right now. Well, welcome Ross to Business Growth on Purpose. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so Ross, just to give our, our listeners a little bit of context, and, and I know it could be a long answer, but just uh, the basically what do you do and who do you do it for? Uh, I basically invent, create products, create technologies, and uh, build businesses. I've been doing that since uh, 1988. Uh, prior to that, I was involved in uh, engineering of uh, products in the video and optical disc world and advancing technology at the time, where all new products were coming from or related to the entertainment and the computer industry and the medical imaging business. So a technological background, environmental science background, industrial engineering background. I'm a generalist and I see things from the perspective of how can I make things better? Wow, well, that's a, that's a good way to go through life, being a person that gets known as the person who makes things better. So I, I love that, Ross. And, 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 and that's interesting because you know, you've, you've been involved in things that kind of your role, your, your career in an area of always being cre like creative or needing to be creative, coming up with new ideas and so on. But a lot of times you can have an owner that's running a company for the last 20 years. Let's say it's a contract manufacturer or they make a particular product, a mixer or filler, who knows, you know, robots. Um, and one of the challenges I've seen as people are looking to expand and grow strategically is the whole idea of how they come up with something new because they're in the industry they're in, delivering the services they're delivering. You know, just the whole idea, how do you, how do you start the process? If somebody listening to this says, gee, I know I need to expand my product line. I've been told that, but I don't know quite how to approach that. What would be some words of great experience that you have doing exactly that? What would you tell that owner? I, I would basically say there's a couple of approaches to invention or creation. Uh, one of those you could look at and, and, and you could say it's the Einstein approach, which is theoretical and coming up with something completely new, completely different and ideas that may or may not lead to products. So ultimately, some of the things he came up with did lead to products. Or you could look at an Edison approach. And Edison, this may hurt a lot of people, but is known for never inventing anything. What he's really known for is improving things that had some level of a working model. So when I would talk to somebody in the field going, you know, our current business is a cash cow. It has a life cycle to it. It may end up dying. We've got to come up with some new things. They're already in a market, in a business and have customers. They should be continuing to talk to their customers. They should find out what the customers need. They should understand their own manufacturing capacity and capability or their reach of that and understand what they could be doing. Um, ideas themselves can come internally 
but it's almost always based on a working model that somehow offers an improvement. I like to use better, faster, cheaper, or differentiated. If you can find any one of those, you might have an opportunity to create and compete. If you have multiple ones of those, you might actually rule. Wow. So better, faster, cheaper, or somehow different in a way that people would say it doesn't look like anything I've seen before. Exactly. So, so question, right? So if, if you're making, let's say uh, you're an OEM making some sort of machine, that's very capital intensive. You know, there's tooling, there's labor, there's raw materials and so on. So how do you, how do you ideate through something? It's not like you're, a G, you know, if you're like a GM, maybe you can ideate and spend $8 million on the prototype. But if you're like an $8 million company, you don't have $8 million to, to ideate. So how, what, what, what are some best practices or is that a game that they should just not play if they're that size? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So a lot of people out there making a piece of equipment want to make a piece of equipment and sell a piece of equipment. They should ask themselves different questions. One of those questions should be, should I ever sell it? Could I place it in my customer's facility and have a better working model to where they will be my customer for decades? At Univenture, one of the things we did as we invented the uh, certain types of CD and optical disc packaging that were the flexible sleeves, mm -hmm. we ended up building a machine. We made it absolutely, uh, let's say, near perfect. It would hardly fail. We spent three times the money a typical machine builder would build a machine at. Then we started giving them away to disc manufacturers. Well, there's always a catch. We lent them the machine. We provided them all the raw materials. We gave them all the training. We did all the maintenance. And all they had to do is pay us for each good piece that came off the machine. Now, I can tell you now, we ended up on three continents with that. We ended up in three different Japanese manufacturing companies, which have the philosophy of not invented here, meaning they're not going to bring something onto their floor unless it was made by their team. Sure. But we made something so good, so well, that we ended up getting money from some of these machines that we placed 14 years earlier. And we were paying for a machine about every year. So you could sell a machine or maybe you shouldn't sell a machine. So when you talk about strategy, you've got to think through everything you think you believe as being true and challenge it sometimes, especially if you're on the cusp of what are we going to do next? Wow. So that's, that's, that's really exciting. You know, as a strategist, I, I think about that. And, and one of the hardest things to get people to do is think of something that isn't just slightly a shade of gray off of what they've already done, because people are comfortable with what they know and they, they do what they do. So you're talking about something that you had that people willing to be somewhat radical, like, Let's make a great machine, but then never sell it. Uh, and that's a big thought. I mean, that's a big idea. So I'm just curious, do you think there's a certain kind of leader that could do that more easily and maybe some that should never even try? Or do you think everybody can be walked through kind of a process to get there to some degree or another? Um, I think people are wired differently. 
Um, so the, there may be a very difficult transition for some people. Um, and and I, I think that when I go back through my experiences of doing things differently, if I took a vote, let's say on, uh, should we move forward with this? Uh, how should we move forward with it? As long as I was taking small incremental steps, everyone would vote yes. Mm -hmm. If you go out there and you do something big and massive, that's scary. And that's scary to conservative people. It's change. And we are wired not to really like change. So, you know, it, 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 it's kind of like, uh, uh, oh, I hate to use this one, but I'm going to use it. It's kind of like putting a frog in the water and boiling it, you know, slowly bring it to boil. The frog never knows it's happened. I, you know, I'm, I'm an animal lover, so I hate using that analogy. But when you're dealing with teams, you won't probably want to know what your end vision is how to get there, all the alternatives, all the roadblocks you're going to go into, and what's the best path to get there. If you're the kind of leader that can really lay that out and then incrementally implement and get your team to buy in at every state step, then you're a brilliant leader as far as I'm concerned. But you're going to have pushback because you will push a boundary sooner or later. Your financial guy will go, we've spent six million dollars and we've not made a money at this at this yet why are we doing this uh you're gonna have some pushback so you've got to really think it through you just can't jump into the fire or throw your team in the fire either wow and and it's it's uh i had assistance professor that said never lead with your chin um you know so he said you gotta you gotta kind of walk people through it and uh because change is the hardest thing right people just yeah. are used to what they used to the security and so on i do think and just you know one thing you said is being able to communicate the end vision like we're doing this for this reason i think does help some people but and there's gonna be some people that just say i have no idea why we're changing this and you know i was commenting on this with um someone else i had an interview with and that was that toward the end, probably the, the, the second to last or, or, or the third to last buggy whip manufacturer probably saw their sales grow as their competitors fell off. And it was some latent demand, right? Still left in the market. So they're thinking, this is great, man. We're, we're, we're growing 30% year over year, selling more buggy whips than ever until the bottom falls out. So as a leader, you do have to think about like, what's next and what do we have to do? So something that's connected to that, though, is, okay, so you have all these ideas. Let's say there's a giant whiteboard. You have great ideas. We're going to do this, that, or the other thing. How do you decide what to really bet on? Because at some level, it is a bet. I'm not saying it's gambling, but it is a, you're going to take people and money and attention toward doing something. How do you know that that's the right path? And, uh, and what steps should you take to make sure you make a more informed bet, if, if I could use that language? Yeah, and for an existing business that has existing sales and existing infrastructure, they're probably the easiest ones to take those bets. Mm. But it, 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 if you read Christian, uh, Clayton Christensen's mm -hmm. Innovated, Innovator's Dilemma, and he passed away, I think, in January of 2021, but he articulates how hard it is 
for an established business to potentially steal its own customers. So if you do come up with something better, you do come up with something that's different and it's outside the realm, it's really hard to get everyone behind how to make that change. Um, an example of that might be somebody that's doing a software and is selling a box. Mm -hmm. Going, We're going to go completely to the internet. Now that's more of an evolution than a revolution, but it's still quite a bit of change. You've got people that are involved in pushing those boxes. You've got retailers that are uh, involved in selling those boxes. So you're, you're creating your own internal disruption. A real disruption would be when you are actually doing something that competes in the market and you're going to throw it out because you see something better coming along. Existing businesses have a very hard time of doing that. And that's what history has shown. And that's what Clayton Christensen had taught for decades, how hard that was to see. So how do you really do it? You have to be willing to take risk. You have to be able to look at the long-term. You have to be able to articulate to your investors, your supporters, uh, your associates that are working with you on where and why this is going to take you. You've got to do a lot of education. Now, someone would say, you're the boss. You don't have to do any education. Right. Baloney. Right. Good luck. You're with the that, leader. Right? <laughs> you want people to follow you. Right. You don't want them to fight you. So you have got to get your key people in your own organization understanding and buying into the vision while you hold the wheels together on everything that's going on. And as you start stealing business from yourself and start to grow to the next level. That is really challenging. And for public companies, quite frankly, the CEO is probably going to get terminated before it all comes through. That's the big challenge. One day they may call him a visionary. The next day they'll call him an idiot. It's, it's really rough for those people. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure it is, especially that's a big, you know, again, you, you, you think you're all that in, in a bag of chips and then you find out not so much. Right. So that's uh, that's really interesting. But, you know, you, you also hit on something that happens in, in every size organization. And it always, you know, as I started focusing the last 15 plus years working with smaller companies, you know, small, mid-sized, mid-market, privately held, you think small company where you talk to the owners, we're all like a family. Right. So it's like 30 person team, 40 person team. But you find just as much passive aggressive behavior there as you do in the big corporations where, it, you know, there's a little bit more infighting. Things are bigger, more you think is more politics, but it could be just as political unless the leader does leading mm -hmm. as opposed to bossing. Right. Uh, which is exactly what you're what you're talking about. So kind of connected to that. So one thing is building up the support in your own team. Critical. Uh, how do you go about validating something in the marketplace? Because ultimately, if, you, if we're talking about stuff you're building to, to sell or making to sell or services that are going to be paid for, uh, you need to know that what you're, what you're betting on is going to be successful or at least have some measure of return. How do you do that without being all in on something and then find it was the wrong bet? Yeah, that, that is a really big challenge. And then even even understanding the potential success of a product. I've got 
I've got two products right here that I'll show you. When I first invented the CD safety sleeve that has the non-woven fabric inside it, mm -hmm. uh, has a place for graphics, it basically simulated the form and function of a jewel box with 93% less plastic, mm. and it would mail for a fraction of the cost of the jewel box. But it's a flexible safe package with a non-woven fabric against the optical disc side. 99% of the people I talked to initially told me they would never take their disc out of a jewel box and put it in this. So I had a 1% potential customer base. Okay. Now, this product is an alternative to a loose leaf binder. It's completely injection molded, stackable, completely made out of polypropylene, which is archival. It has molded rings inside. Wow. So that it is completely, basically reusable, recyclable. It's a cool product. 99% of the people I talked to about this said they'd love it and use it. Now, we ended up selling billions of these. We ended up hitting the Inc. 500 for five years in a row with this product. This product got introduced 20 years ago. And yes, we've, we've sold millions, but it never turned into a outright success. So what you're talking about is how does somebody really create something that's going to have a phenomenal success? This may still have a lot of life and legs. There's over 300 products online at Amazon that go under the banner Unikeep. Not only consumer packaging, but storage and collection products like stamp collecting, baseball cards, things like that. That still has a potential but it's never going to be a blockbuster and it's never going to drive sales where you hit the Inc. 500 five years in a row. So for those operators that are trying to figure out what's next, that better, faster, cheaper differentiated is a starting point. The understanding of what people think of where you're going with something is a starting point. Market testing somehow is a starting point. If you decide to bet the house on something too early, the house might get burnt down. Sure. You have got to be careful, but you have got to have a strategy of innovation. What are we doing? What are we doing? And you better have a pipeline of innovation. One of our companies, BioSortia, is in the drug discovery space. And I've learned how every pharma company out there is completely dependent upon their pipeline. Not the products that are in the market, but what could they bring to the mm -hmm. market? If you're a small entrepreneur, you're a small business, and you do not have a strategy or a group of people around you that are somewhat innovative, thought-provoking, you don't have a pipeline. And you better have a pipeline, and you be better be able to write what your pipeline is on a piece of paper and then continue to move it forward Evolution, not revolution, is key. Wow. And and one of the things with uh, developing new products, especially things that require actual physical creation, molds, things like that, 
there's capital money, you know, so service area is not free, but it's a little easier because you can actually create a service on a brochure and that, and test, see if people want the service. Right. Right. Um, I'm not trivializing it. There's a lot of work that goes into doing that right as well, but it's not like you have to necessarily, uh, you know, you don't have to stand up a new production line to make that happen necessarily, but with things that cost money, what are some alternatives that you have found uh, where people can figure out creative ways to finance something they know might well be a good idea. Yeah. And, and, and to your last point, um, thank goodness there's things like digital printing today. Uh, you know, I was using, believe it or not, digital printing over 20 years ago to make prototypes, to test them, feel them, touch them. They weren't very good prototypes, but it certainly gave you a feel for what you were going to end up with. As far as financing things like this, there's a lot of ways. Whether you're a brand new startup, it's a little bit tougher unless you've got some kind of traction, you've got some kind of momentum. Early investors out there, angel investors, they come from friends, they come from families, they come from people you've turned on to the product that like it. And there is ways to make incremental steps in an early stage company. Um, if you're an already existing company, banks won't fund that. I mean, they're, they're horrible for that. Unless you've got so much money in the bank, you're essentially funding it by guaranteeing right. it. Right. So if you don't have that kind of money, you may have to reach into friends, into family, into other opportunities, angel investors. Uh, and, then, and then there are angel investor groups. They're all over the place. So, you know, you've got to turn over stones, but you have to have a well-defined message articulated. You better have a plan. You better have prototypes. You better know you're going to do this, 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 and this. And you got to be able to prove with your past that you've done this. It's much harder for somebody, uh, let's say younger and unexperienced, but let's say with a fearless motivation uh, to get support they're probably on that very first round likely to lose control unless they put a lot of their messaging together. But there are ways to get things funded. I've known people that have turned their business into multi-million dollar businesses by, and I would say, irresponsibly using credit cards. Right. Okay. They obviously plan, thought it was a. a brilliant thing to do. And they went right. out and applied for tons of credit cards and then they maxed every one of them. Right. Um, and then they ran out of money, but they figured out how to keep it going and ultimately build a multi-million dollar business. So there's so many strategies and there's so many, let's say, resource materials that people should look at and understanding how to create a deck, how to create the messaging, and what should be, let's say, material and realistic within a deck. Wow. And, you know, what's exciting about that, too, is that there are ways to relatively inexpensively demonstrate what you're talking about, which is your point, right? right. So whether it's a 3D printed prototype or it's a, it's a beautiful looking animation, you know, for a few thousand dollars, you can actually say, this is what I mean. Exactly. And, and and then see if people actually want what you what you have. But but I'm also fascinated by your binder and CD sleeve example. How the CD sleeve was one percent like early indication. The binder was ninety nine percent early indication, and they're both successful. But the bigger success 
was somewhere along the line, you probably had to do a gut check where you said, I understand it's 1%, but this is going to work. Uh, because otherwise you wouldn't have gone forward with it. Well, that's true. So in that better, faster, cheaper, differentiated, differentiated can mean niche. If you're in a 20 billion unit market and you're a niche product at 1%, that's not bad numbers. No, no, the, <laughs> the numbers still add up. Exactly. All right. So part of choosing what you're going to do is critically important. Many people choose things that are, quite frankly, uninvestable. But I, when I've talked to people before, one of the things that I said is I got lucky in this market for a couple of reasons. It was a brand new market. CDs had just come to the market. Mm. People were trying to figure out how to do things and where to go. And it looked like that market was going to grow wildly. So important. This was a rapidly growing market that looked like it had legs. Gotcha. I could have screwed up in that market and still potentially made a business. Now, if I screwed up too much, I'd have been out of business. And I saw many packaging companies or many storage product manufacturers introduce a new product and go out of business you know, within months. So we did have something that was unique and we did have IP around it, multiple patents. And we did ultimately have to sue somebody that was a $8 billion company that was infringing us. And we had the kind of patents behind us that we sued them in the US, sued them in Europe, one in Europe, sued them again for the second time in the US and sued all of their customers. So strategy is, always multi-layer. You had better have a lot of things lined up. Sometimes people are lucky and they are given the bandwidth to learn along the way, or they've run into some really good advice and advisors that have some of that experience. Um, and that's important. But I can also tell you from my experience, I've run into people that are highly experienced that gave me the wrong advice. So it's really a challenging situation always. And ultimately, decisions have to be made by those that have the majority of the information and quite frankly, um, let's call it the guts okay. to take some risk. Because right. these things don't happen easy. If it was really easy, everyone would be doing it. And there'd be and no opportunity, feeding. right? There, yeah. would, would there be no opportunity because you, you, how would you differentiate if everybody's doing the same thing? So yeah. there you go. Wow. Well, Ross, this has been fantastic. Love this topic. It's really core strategy, very helpful for our listeners, I'm sure. And if somebody listening wanted to know more about you, your work, how to get in touch with you, where should they go? The easiest place to find everything we're doing is univenture.com. It shows some of the companies that are underneath there, including the biotech company that quite frankly is going to change the world. And I am confident about that. Uh, but the biotech company is my, uh, let's say the stellar opportunity of my lifetime to be involved with. Completely blue ocean. Nobody in the world is doing it. And that's the one that I have so much passion and excitement about. I'm just privileged to be the one that's helping the team drive that forward. But there's other companies like Unikeep, NVPAC, Cardnoter that are all very interesting, 
very unique, very niche-oriented. Fantastic. Well, Ross Youngs, thank you once more for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose and sharing your wisdom and experience. It's really appreciated. Thank you. It was a complete pleasure on my part as well. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.